Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with James Gardner. We'll be Ooh. sitting in for Matt Watson today. James, what's up? Not too much. Yeah. Um, well, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Now, before we dive in, I'm going to do a couple things here. So, for those of you listening, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, which is the business I own with the Matt who is not here. We help you build teams of software developers quickly and affordably. If you would like to see our beautiful talking heads, you can check out today's episode at the Startup Also YouTube channel. We are also pretty much everywhere else. You can find us on TikTok, on Instagram. We're all over the internet. And speaking of the internet, today's guest is James Gardner, once again, the founder of the Hummus Company. Now, for those of you listening, you know I like it when you're interactive. So whether you're on your listening on your phone, or you have a browser nearby, I want you to go to thehummus.co. And since you were already at Instagram, checking out the at Startup Hustle podcast page, you can go to at Hummus Co. The Hummus Co. The Hummus Co. Co. I think if you search Hummus Co, you might find it too. You probably will. Our social media girl does a really good job. Yeah, that's true. Hashtagging us. We don't always do a good job of telling people where to go. So, James, you clearly own a hummus business. Let's get started on how that works. Tell us a little bit about the hummus company. And actually, I would honestly like to just know what is hummus. So hummus is, uh, it's about a 5,000 year old um, dip, basically bean dip, Mediterranean bean dip. So it's chickpeas, tahini, oil, lemon juice, garlic, you know, stuff like that. Um so they were making hummus 5,000 years ago? Yeah, it's one of the first forms of processed foods, actually. Okay. Um, used to be just chickpeas and tahini ground in a um, mortar and pestle, but and we've come a long way since then. But uh, yeah, it's uh, a very classic food. Okay. So, and then as far as hummus goes, I mean, that's typically like, I mean, as far as I recognize it, it's something I'd dip some bread in or something like that. It's uh, kind of regarded as a health food, isn't it? Somewhat. Yeah. Um, and dip bread, fingers, spoons. I usually just eat it with a spoon. I'm, I'm that way. Usually mine's just testing. <laughs> if I owned a hummus company, I would probably eat hummus with a shovel just cause you I could. could. Yeah. Yeah. You could, um, you can take a bath in it too. <laughs> All right. Now we're drawing the line, man. We're drawing the line. <laughs> so in regards to the hummus company, and once again, go to the hummus, that's H-U-M-S, H-U-M-M-U-S.co. It's kind of a tongue twister. Um, but you can learn all about what James does and maybe buy some hummus. Who knows? Now, I mean, how the hell do you get in the hummus business? So back in 2010... I lived in Northern, uh, Northern California in Sacramento. Um, I used to, I worked for a gourmet food store there. Um, the, this is when hummus was kind of started. Hummus has been around for a while, but it's only been really popular in about the last 15 years or so. Um, the owner of this store I worked for asked me to 
make hummus to sell. We had a prepared foods case that you could come in and buy pasta salads or, um, you know, uh, all kinds, all the foods that I was making. It was a blast. Um, she asked me to make hummus. Um, so I tried, I, I went around and tried a bunch of different, different brands. I couldn't really stand what I tasted. So I made my own. Um, and the recipe I came up with turned out pretty great. People loved it. Um, we were selling probably 20, 30 pounds a day out of that store. Um, that sounds like a lot. It was quite a bit. Um, long story short, I left that job. I got, I missed Kansas city. I wasn't a big fan of California. Ended up coming back. I had nothing else to do. I had no job, um, nowhere to go, nowhere even really to stay. I was staying with my sister. Um, and I, um, was asked by my friends like, Hey, what was all this food you were making in California? I'm like, Oh yeah, well here, try this hummus. None of my friends really liked hummus. I didn't even really like it myself, but I made some, gave it to them. Um, and at the, um, recommendation of a dear friend of my grandmother, she's, you need to start a hummus business. I thought about it. Took me a couple of days to really sit and let that set in like, okay, a white kid from Kansas city making hummus. Sure. Why not? Um, Googled it, spent, uh, spent a good week. You know, how do you start a business? Well, you know, how do you, or a food business anyway, a food business is a lot harder than most other businesses. And it just occurred to me, I could do it. Um, so I started, started developing a recipe, getting a kind of a marketing plan together, getting, um, you know, how this worked, just Googling everything really. Um, and we launched in, uh, March of 2011. I want to highlight a couple of things that you just said, cause you had a couple of trigger points for me that I, that I, first off smart, guess what? You can figure out how to do just about anything you want by asking Google. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my book, million dollar bedroom, I, I literally have a chapter like ask Google because so many people say, well, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. What do I need to do? What's required? Blah, blah, blah. Ask Google. Absolutely. Like it's unbelievable. Like we are in a golden age of information. Now you can not only ask Google, you can ask YouTube. Like, and now in 2001, Google was a good, the, YouTube was not as prevalent right. as it is now. But I mean, there is a wealth of information out there about how to do anything. Start a business, make hummus, uh, what's up with the food business, the good, the bad, the ugly. And so with that, um, you know, it's people ask me all the time, like, where do you go to college? I have dropped out of five colleges, but I've learned a hell of a lot of stuff from Google. And, and I mean, and I, every day, like I was asking Google stuff today because that's what it's for. I still do all the time. Yeah. Well, you should. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. And I, I, I see too many entrepreneurs, uh, act as if like, quote, not knowing is the roadblock. I'm like, guess what? None of us knew how to do any of this until we did. Right. Okay. So then I want to, I want to, I want to swirl around that for a little bit. So first off, I love the fact that, uh, um, a friend of grandma, is that who it was? Yeah. It was you, a, you know, businesses aren't always like, sometimes they, they just happen. Like most of it, like I refer to my accidental businesses, like the, the sponsor today's podcast, full scale. Matt Watson and I did not intend to start full scale before we started it. We were doing something completely different. We saw an opportunity. It seemed like it made sense. It was within our scope of what we wanted to do. Checked it out, started a business a year and a half later, we got 180 employees. Yep. I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes. So it is. So what'd you learn? Like what did, what you, I, you know, you're saying, what do you need to do to start a food business, which is hard by the way, for a number of reasons, but what, what'd you find early on? Um, 
the regulations, um, there's a lot of regulations when it comes to food stuff. And that was, that's what most of my time was spent Googling that health code, um, you know, FDA things. Um, you know, I struggled, uh, you know, I'm an ADD kid or ADHD kid. I, I am too. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I struggled, um, I struggled sometimes, you know, making myself get into the work. Um, I had a, a great friend of mine tell me, you know, cause I wanted to start a business years and years ago. I had an idea for a mobile, um, a mobile um, electronics installation business, like come to your office and install a car stereo for you. I used to do that years ago, um, but I had no idea where to start. And I asked my, I asked my best friend, I'm like, what, what do I do? He's like, you need to make it your job. You need to wake up no matter if you don't know what to do. You just need to, to wake up at eight o'clock, be at your computer, do some things, you know, spend all day, just devote the time to it, looking stuff up, looking up what you need to do. And I never under really understood that concept until I started hummus. And I was like, okay, because things just come to you. You know, once you, once you figure one thing out, then you got to figure out the next step. And then it just, it just becomes what you got to do. Um, well, that's the whole, that's the rabbit hole. Yes. I mean, that's it. But if you don't ever dive in it, you don't figure out what's you gotta, in it. You got to have the passion. So I have ADHD too, and I consider it a superpower. I'm not afraid of it at all. And I would not give it back. And, I, and I'm going to tell you why. When I want to do something, I'm pretty freaking good at it. But I have to want to do it. Right. So, because oh, like when you mentioned, you know, sometimes I had a hard time doing this or doing that. But if there's something, and I learned that about myself, and I think this is an important thing for entrepreneurs, but, you know, if there's something I'm interested in, oh, I'll crush it. Yeah. Are you the same way? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I struggled with ADD for a long time. I mean, it wasn't always easy, but it also gives you some like superpowers when it comes to like drive because that hyperactivity, if you can get that lightning in a bottle, well, it's either a motor, it'll either propel you or if you can manage to uncork it. Yeah. It's, it's great for entrepreneurs to be yeah. ADHD because, you know, we've, uh, we, we get so many crazy ideas in our heads. Yep. We, we have so many things that we need to, you know, if we can't, we can't just focus on one repetitive task. We got to keep thinking, you know, new things and moving in a different direction and okay, I'm done with that. Moving on to this. That's yep. not working. Moving on to this. That means you can spin plates and do a lot of different things. Like when I say spinning plates, I, you got to picture that like guy that was on the old school, like Ed Sullivan show that's spinning plates on the, on the top of, of, of poles. Right. And one starts to wobble, he runs over, he spins it again. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the way I live my life. And I like it that way. I'm, now, with that, um, did you go through some periods of entrepreneurial ADD, meaning like it's easy to chase shiny things? And when you're so now you're trying to build a hummus business, it's easy to maybe think, well, I should have like 97 flavors and stuff like that. Did that did that come up along the way? So I um, one thing I one thing I struggled with. We didn't have a whole lot of money in the beginning. I brought in a business partner who had a yeah. few thousand dollars. Um, you know, starting a food business, you know, it's, it's a lot different than an app or a website. You've got to, you have to have a food space to work out of, a commercial kitchen. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. I had a townhouse and we renovated the basement to be a commercial kitchen, um, inspected by the state and everything. It was perfect. But that's where the ADD, I have a hard time working at home because, you know, I'd wake up, drink some coffee, like, all right, I got a, I got, I got uh, 50 pounds of hummus to make today. Um, yeah, I can just, I'll do that later. Yeah. No Working problem. for home is either real, it can be really productive or really challenging it's and great. everyone thinks they can do it. And I think about one out of 50 people can, I'm, I'm, I'm one that can. Yeah. 
because I get away from a lot of other noise, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't always that easy. Right. But home is home is where the most, the majority of your distractions exist. Yeah. And your couch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And my Xbox. And uh, so, so, yeah, you mentioned something about you compared the food business to like owning an app. Um, There is an advantage of some of things like the food business. And that's that the path to revenue can be extremely shorter. Like when you talked about like, and we'll use that comparison of an app. Well, you got to build the app. You got to make it work. You got to test it. You got to get it out there. I mean, you're going to spend, I don't care how simple your app, your quote app is, you're going to spend a lot of money before you figure out if anyone at all will ever pay for it. Right. And now you obviously have regulations and stuff to deal with the food business and you got to keep it clean. But at the same time, I mean, a, a lot of people start a food business in their kitchen and sometimes it's just like cooking for people they know or something like that. And, right. But that is revenue. Like if you can get a few bucks out of it, that's a little easier to keep it going as opposed to technology companies who very, very much run out of money. Yeah. Before and- they ever get the Yeah. Yeah. And it can cost a lot of money to start those up yep. too. You know, you've got all kinds of people you got to pay for things. Yeah, sure. That, um, you know, getting your stuff. <laughs> so yeah, this is the problem of talking with my hands. Like, I'm just going so, to- so, you know, <laughs> before, before we started, James just uh, smacked the microphone, which is a very, I'm laughing and smiling. And by the way, you around the 13th minute, if you want to watch uh, the bloopers from today, they'll be on <laughs> YouTube. No, we actually have these like squeezy eggs that we give people we're like you will want to keep your hands busy so yeah it's by the way we have had people um smack the mic with coffee cups that is noticeable but all right so back to where you were (laughs) (laughs) so um oh what was i talking oh yeah so uh so yeah starting food business commercial kitchen and when i started this up i was just making stuff in a little food processor Mm -hmm. in my kitchen at home just trying to put samples out and just trying to change things you know change things based on my feedback, you know, does this need more garlic? Does this need more peppers? Does it, what what does this need? Um, you know, the restaurant I worked at at the time, all the servers were my, all my fellow servers were like my taste testers and that's how I got it going. Um, when I finally was approached by a grocery store and had my very first meeting with the grocery store, I, I don't know. I think the guy could sense, he asked me, he's like, where, where are you making this? I was like, I, um, I make this in my kitchen. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to buy this from you until you have a commercial space. I said, okay. Oh, well, well, that's good to know. And I I walked out of that meeting a little bit nervous, like, how am I going to do this now? But then my very first business partner came through a few thousand dollars. We built a kitchen out and in three weeks we were able to start making product to sell to Hy-Vee stores. So yeah, you're right. It's, it's really easy with food stuff to start selling immediately. Um, and it's also, but in the same with an app, you know, apps have updates. I'm able to make updates too, you know, based on the feedback I get from people. I've, I've changed my recipe a thousand times over the years, you know, just, no, sure. um, yeah. that's, that's kind of the nice thing, but we're constantly selling stuff too. So it was, I mean, we, from the second we started selling something, we were profiting our first year in business, first year in business. And it was only about three quarters of the year, we did about 120,000 in sales, which is not, that's bad. actually a lot. Uh, you said in the first year, in the first year, that's good. That's yeah. good. I mean, there's, there's a lot of businesses that 
won't sell anything in the first year. And that's like, I mean, that's true. I mean, in 14 months, we were able to save up the money and move into a new space about six times the size. So you mentioned creating a commercial kitchen. You said that was on your own property. Yeah. Well, it was a rental property. Okay, sure. But it was, it was something that you had, that you had control over. Now, I don't know if this was a thing, um, as much uh, then as it is now, but now if you have a food startup, you can actually lease commercial kitchens oh, yeah, for so. like, um, and it's funny because uh, a lot of people are do that in like the different, like the edibles, yeah. meaning like the cannabis stuff um, has been popular for that because of the regulation that surrounds it. And I'm not saying we're for or against that, but, but the point is, is, is the accessibility to, and, and the same with food, like there's even like universities and stuff like that, that have a lot of these things and you can go in and, you know, lease them for a day or maybe Mondays the day you go in there. And that offers a pretty specific advantage for food startups because commercial kitchen stuff's expensive, right? It's, it's very expensive. Yeah. I mean, you look at the you look at the cost to like open a restaurant, even a even a franchise restaurant, like a McDonald's costs like ten million dollars to build. Yeah, they're not always that much, but they're a lot. And then the thing too is that the, the a lot of those franchises, it's not as the it's not as much the expense to build an outfit and buy the franchise license. They also want you to be liquid for like three. Four million bucks because they don't want you to go out of business. Right. And that's expensive. Yeah. I and mean, yeah. I'm not a fan of restaurants too much. I would probably never open a restaurant. I love being I never able would. To, I never would. It's you've got one <clears throat> shot. Um, Everybody I talk to that owns a restaurant either loves it or hates it. Yeah. I mean, it's never in between. They're never like, yeah, that's right. Right. They're like either they're, they're like going broke and they're like, this is going to be the death of me or they're killing it. Right. But restaurants are finicky, man. Like they, they cost a lot more money. I think that any business that you want to start is likely to cost a significant amount more than you think it is to right. start, run, and maintain. And why? Because there's a lot of stuff that you probably didn't think about that you'll need. Absolutely. Yeah. What was some of that for you? Um, it was <clears throat> getting into grocery stores. Um you know, uh, making those contacts, making those meetings, getting into the stores. Um, you know, we've we've struggled. You know, I've got hummus. Uh, the hummus I make currently, presently, as of today, refrigerated deli stuff. I got a short shelf life, um, and it has to be under forty one degrees or forty degrees the its entire life. It's a challenge. It's very. It, it's hard to. Um, it's it's always been hard to distribute. It's been hard to store. It's been hard to um, even to get it sold. You know, most people you can like again where it's a little bit different than an app. You can put an app on us on the app store. I mean, but you're just doing downloads. I have less than a month that I have to. You know, if I if there's a a tick in sales, an uptick or a downtick, it's so hard to try and keep up with that. I'm in wholesale grocery only. I don't have a retail space, anything like that. So it's, it's a really tricky business, but once you, once you get it down, it can be fantastic. And once you kind of learn what's selling, I've kept intricate data for the last, since 2013 of all of my store sales. So I can try to kind of gauge how things are going to go, but that's probably the data collection being in wholesale is probably the most important part about this for me. 
I mean, you're, you're describing scalability concerns, um, you know, and much like a service business, the, you know, service business is hard to scale sometimes because you get a people and that's why the investors are so, are so interested in software because software, well, if you do it right, comes to work every day, works 24 hours a day, doesn't take a day off. (laughs) It doesn't require overtime. Like there's a whole lot of merit to that, but there's, you know, pluses and minuses either way. The, I would think with food and like, kind of like you mentioned, like, and this is perishable stuff. Like you got to sell it or eat it. It's hard. I imagine you've eaten a little hummus here and there just because why not? Yeah. You know, it's sad. I've probably sold more hummus than anybody, you know, but I've also probably bought more hummus than anybody. When you say bought, meaning like Like use it or lose it. Yeah. Like buy it back from the grocery store. Um, and is that, is that, well, let's talk about that for a second. Cause th- that's sometimes the deal you have to make with the store. Yeah. Like if you don't sell it, you, it's not the store that quote eats it. Right. It's the vendor. And it all depends on the, the deal you work out yeah. with, with every individual grocery. Some are different. Yeah. But if you're not a proven commodity, they're going to want that. Cause they're going right. to say, and, and so you mentioned uh, distribution and supply chain kind of stuff, like really more sales channel oriented, but, um, the thing with, I would imagine, so high V and for those of you that are listening, um, that aren't in Kansas city or the Midwest, it's a big grocery store chain. So you got to get in front of the right person. You can't just walk into your local high V and talk to the guy, the cashier and be like, Hey man, I'm trying to sell some hummus, you know, point me in the right way. Well, or- actually, actually with now high V, unlike a lot of grocery store chains, they're all operated individually. Okay. It is with with just high V, it is as easy as walking in. Hey, who do I have to talk to to sell in right over here? Oh, we'll get you the person. That's and surprising. But is. then that can also not be a great thing because you might have to go broker 27 different deals in 27 different markets. It, it, that's exactly that's exactly the struggle with it. Um, and they don't do corporate level things. So I couldn't just go to their corporate office and say, I want to get it in all your stores. They'd say, yep. okay, well, you need to talk to the manager of each store. Other grocery store chains, there's one here in Kansas City, uh, the Costantino's group. Mm-hmm. Um, they have they operate price choppers yep. and markets all over. They come from a corporate level. So once I get in at the corporate, I can get into pretty much any store. And there's upside to that, but the downside of that is there's a whole lot of people in that line. There are. And there's a lot of people who can yeah. say no too. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, in fact, there's a, uh, there's a store out in Gardner, Kansas, which is where like all my family's from. And d- despite how hard I've tried, they won't let my stuff in that store. <laughs> I don't know why I'm like, I have so much family here who would buy this and they won't, they wouldn't. I mean, they have, uh, you know, food is an interesting model because a lot of people don't realize things about the grocery store. Like for example, like the end cap on an aisle is the valuable real estate. And vendors pay. You do have to pay. For pay that. money to like have Frito Lay or whatever to have those chips on that end cap, and that's a that's a bidding war. And there's like, and there's can you know here, now here's the thing too is like it goes the other way around because people go into stores expecting to find different products, so there can be leverage that goes each way. So if Coca Cola doesn't want you next to them on the shelf, then they might pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very expensive. Even, even distribution can be, um, you know, the barrier to entry. There's, uh, most grocery distributors require you to, um, give them free product. Yep. First you have to give them tons of free product and that, that alone is enough to, okay, well, we can't do that. not going to do that. Um, I, I tried it, you know, I don't use any distribution companies currently. 
Um, you know, I try to do as much as I can by myself and I kind of prefer doing that. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty bootstrapping entrepreneur and I'll cut out the middleman wherever I can to try and keep things direct. And a lot of people, a lot of people that I work with love dealing with, you know, directly with me. Um, it, it helps your relationship when you're, or with that, with that store, it helps you, um, I don't know. It gives them a sense of, I know the person who makes this and I honored to sell it for them. Yeah, there's some limitations to that though, uh, at sure. the same time. And when he mentions distribution companies and we've talked about this in past episodes as you know, there are company distributors that are in the business of, they already have the, the pre-built relationships. They have connections. They have a, they, you know, they are the supply chain in some regards. And the reason I mentioned that there's limitations to that while the items you mentioned are certainly can be productive attributes at the same time, you can only cover so much ground. Right. And and when you have singular product lines, like, and I know yours isn't completely singular, at the same time, that challenge that comes with it is you, you're you marching in there with like one or two arrows in the quiver. And these distributorships, they have a whole bunch. Right. So they're going in and, you know, like I said, some, sometimes the hardest part of selling is just getting in front of people that make decisions. Right. And that's, that's the challenge. So, and you know, like, it sounds like you've done a good job of figuring out when, where, and why, you know, that can happen. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely very relative to the product that you're selling to, um, you know, the refrigerated stuff or, you know, short shelf life things are better to stay kind of local than to use a big full scale distribution. You know, you most of the vegetables and stuff you eat are going to come from around here. Some of them. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, things, things like, um, like that, you know, that hummus right there. That's, and we'll, we'll talk about that here yes. in a minute. Um, now, now, by the way, I, I want to, uh, so many of the things you mentioned, uh, are related to the resources and the needs that startups have. And you, uh, participated locally in beta blocks, mm -hmm. which is, it's an accelerator. It's a, it's a kind of a modification of one, but let's talk about that for a second and yeah. how that helped your business or what effect that had, if anything on it. Yeah. Um, uh, beta blocks have been a great tool. The, the, the reason I joined beta blocks, I had, um, just gone through a dissolution with a part with a, my first business partner. We kind of, we split up. Um, it was kind of a, it was kind of a nasty breakup, but, um, I was alone again, um, you know, with the business. I, by the way, you, when you have a business partner it really is like that. Like, oh, it absolutely I mean, is. you mentioned like a breakup, like I mentioned that in one of my books, like choose your business par partners wisely. Cause you are married to them on some levels. It can be, e it's easier to get rid of your spouse or your partner than it is your business partner. Absolutely. Cause you can actually kind of force the issue there. Like if your business partner or your investors don't want to go, uh, well, depending on who, you know, what the situation is, it can, it's, it can be impossible to look with it. Yeah. We went through that. It was, uh, it was not a fun time. Sure. Um, it happens so, to a lot of people, man. It's very common. So I guess you could but say, by the way, do you know that they have counseling for business partners? Do they really? Yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, they have marriage counseling. Hmm. Same thing, man. These are problems. You're around someone, you're integrally involved and, and you know, these are things is like when you're talking about people's livelihoods, I mean, that can be passionate the same way that a relationship can be. 
Sounds like a field I kind of want to get into. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't know if I want to be a, a mediator or anything like that, but yeah. Um, no, it was a it was a pretty nasty little process, you know, and you get spiteful too. And you, yeah, you know, you, that's the whole point. Like it's just like a divorce, divorce dude. Yeah. yeah. You, you say I'm picturing things. wedding crashers when they're arguing over the airline miles, and you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> it, it was it was a. a yeah, I'm not going to get into James. I'd let that. you keep the. I'd let you keep the miles. Oh, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, uh, but, but only if you make a bicycle for me out of balloon animals or we're balloons. Isn't that what he does later at the wedding? Make a bicycle for me, clown. Yes, yes. Enough wedding crashers references, but can you ever have enough? Um, no, probably not. <laughs> okay, so you so, lost a lot of good men so, <laughs> that day. You <laughs> went. Um, uh, so we went through that breakup. Um, I was kind of lost, you know, I used to, a business partner is a great tool to have for yep. bouncing ideas off of, for keeping a good one check. is a good tool. Um, yeah. It's perfect. So I, um, I felt kind of lost and, uh, I was looking up, I, I can't remember how, I don't know if beta blocks just came in my Facebook feed or I saw, or somebody, somebody recommend or something. Um, and I thought, Hey, this would be great a business incubator that take a little bit of your company and, the uh, it's it was so valuable to have all the different companies and all the different personalities and so many like minded people like a bunch of ADHD kids with businesses to you know talk to about their experiences learn from them you know um, it's been great are you you're in BetaBox right? I'm not or you're not okay but you in what regard like as a participant. No, I've um, never participated in a business accelerator, but my business and this podcast does. I mean, like I'm literally leaving the recording here today. We're the uh, official development partner of Launch KC, oh, cool. which is a business accelerator. And, and I'm going down to demo day. So, um, but yeah, the, I, you know, I'm a big fan of business accelerators for, for a number of reasons. Like you mentioned, like being around, uh, uh, having that sense of community, having a tribe yeah. around you is, uh, well, it's motivating. It can help you move things forward. Um, I think the more people you're around that are trying to do things that are similar to you or potentially really good at what they do, I mean, how are you, how is that bad? Right. I mean, unless you're all doing the exact same thing and you're pitted in a cutthroat competition, which honestly, for some people, might be the greatest situation possible. Right. Because we, we, when our backs are to the wall, we have a tendency to... Well, you fight yeah. or you sink or you swim. Yeah. So, but, but then again, too, some of these things, and I see this with, with certain stuff is there are a lot of pressure too, because now, you know, like there's a lot of stress, man. It is. It's I mean, being an entrepreneur isn't easy. No, it's not. Um, it will test your moral, your moral caliber. It does. In a lot of different ways. And it'll test your finances. It'll test your resolve. Definitely. It'll test your sanity and it'll test your sleep patterns. <laughs> I know that all too well. Yeah. Um, sometimes some of these weeks I've, I catch myself working overnight. Sometimes um, I was just telling somebody the other day, you know, I sometimes I need people to keep me in check and to tell me, hey, you need to go home. You need to stop. You need to stop. Just go home. Like, oh, my God. I've, okay. Yeah, people I work with will say that. Yeah. I mean, if, if and when. Yeah. You know, it comes up. I mean, I've definitely had people. You got, I think you got to just surround yourself with people that aren't afraid to be honest. Right. You know, and I mean, that's that's workplace culture and different stuff. So um, so you come out of Betablocks and did that. Um, um, so that helped you be found mentally. Yes. Um, and I um, I met my current business partner in Betablocks, too. And that's that's been incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, 
helpful to me. He's is a, he's is he guy. someone that's good at good at the stuff that you're not? Yes. Does he um, do like doing the things that you hate? Sometimes, yes. Okay. Um, but th- yeah, he's. Uh, I'm I'm terrible with the finance stuff. Yeah. He's great with that stuff. I'm terrible with the marketing stuff. He's he's great with it. Um, me, I just want to be a dude who makes hummus. As as silly as that sounds, that's all. I want. No, that's our, there's nothing wrong with that. No. I've talked to some people that have done really well. One of them, which has mentored me a little bit, Laryl Holt, who's the founder of a huge auto body chain called Carstar. And if you ask him what he does, he's going to be saying, I'm just a guy looking for something to do. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, is like, if you know, that's what you want to do. Um, you know, like you look at Matt Watson and I, um, same name, completely different personality styles and people, um, a lot of similar experience though. So Matt's great at a lot of the things that I'm not. And I, and the other way around, and I also openly embrace doing a lot of the things that he doesn't like doing. So there's a lot of, you know, and that's, that actually defined, you don't want to have two of the exact same people because then you're going to have shortcomings. So that's where business partners can really be a big win for most. We also find ourselves, um, you know, I get frustrated about things and he's the one, (laughs) he's the one telling me, you know, I get frustrated. He tells me, Hey man, all right, calm down. You know, it takes, we got to (laughs) keep, we have to, we keep our, we keep each other level. Um, You know, I get frustrated about stuff. He tells me to chill out. He gets frustrated about things. I tell him to chill out. Like, Hey, we'll get through this. You know, we're so, but it's all, it all balances out. I almost did it again. Um, (laughs) I got to stop. You, if you hit the mic one more time, you're out. (laughs) We have to throw you out, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, So as we kind of move forward here now in front of me, and, and so for those of you listening, go to the hummus.co check it out on the gram at the hummus co Um, businesses evolve. They change over time. We have ideas that are good. We have ideas that are bad. We have things that win, things that lose success, fail, whatever. Um, You know, and with that, it appears that you have created some new products and I am holding in my hand hummus in a bag, but it says just add water. It's pretty, uh, Pretty awesome stuff, too. It tastes really good. Um, so this came up uh, back in 2016. I was backpacking on the Appalachian Trail with a dear friend of mine. Um, we were at a shelter one night, and I see this guy. He's got a Tupperware container and something purple in it. He's he's mixing something in here. I was like, what are you what are you eating there? He's, oh, this is uh, Thomas. I'm like, how, how are you? eating hummus on the Appalachian trail. And he said it was a, it was a stuff that he got on Amazon. It came in a box like pancake mix. Um, he said it wasn't that good. He had to add all of his own, uh, his, <laughs> his own, um, uh, uh, spices and seasonings to make it taste good. Um, so naturally my brain starts racing. I was like, okay, so what, what would you change about this? He was like, um, one, if you could make it taste good and two, you know, kind of put it, a you know, so I don't have to put it in baggies. So, you know, like a portion size, a perfect portion size. I said, okay. So, so, so yeah, I'm holding, I mean, this is in the palm of my hand. Yeah. Perfect, perfect portion. Pocket sized. Yeah. You can fit it in your pocket. That's 1.28 ounces. Mm-hmm. However much that is. That makes a quarter pound when you would, when you add it with water. Okay. Mix it with water. 
So I, you know, it took a little bit of time. I've been busy with hummus for, or, you know, refrigerated hummus for nine years now. And, um, you know, so I on kinda, some levels, this is like, hallelujah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, this takes away all of the, my biggest struggles that yeah. I've had over the years, refrigeration and shelf life. We're looking at a much longer shelf life with this because there's no liquid in it. There's no, um, you know, we're looking at a minimum of a year to start on the shelf life. Um, don't have to keep it cold. That's one thing. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's like my favorite aspect about it is the refrigerated, not refrigerated part. So here we have the small pouch of hummus and do I literally just add water? Yeah. And then that turns into a quarter. How much is a quarter pound? Is that like a small bowl? Is that your, a couple cups? Is that typical uh, like tub of hummus you get in the grocery store is going to be about a half pound or a little bit more. Okay. So that's about two, two tubs, two groceries. I have purchased hummus yeah. in a tub, yeah. probably from Costco or my, I, you know what? Let me back up. I, the last time I purchased food at a grocery store or somewhere similar, I don't know. Can't remember. I eat what my wife will sometimes ask me, what do you want to eat? And I just want to reply by saying, you realize I have completely no control <laughs> over that. So yeah, whatever you put in front of me. Um, okay. So it, now th with this actual product, is this something, is this, are you selling this actively or is this kind of a beta product? Well, at the moment, and I didn't want to uh, date the podcast, but we're pre-launch on that. Um, we're we're hoping that's going to be launching here in the next couple of weeks. We've well, then you this for those of you listening. If that does occur, then that will have already happened, probably. So yeah, potentially. Okay. So all right. So with this little pouch, how much how much does one of these sell for? Uh, we're thinking they're going to retail between two and a half and three and a half dollars. Okay. Um, you know, you're looking at how much does the hummus in the tub usually cost? It's more than that. Uh, the stuff that I sell ranges from three ninety nine to four ninety nine, and that's um, a quarter or a half pound. Uh, it's uh, it's nine point one ounces, a little over a half pound. Okay. Um, so this is this is a completely different animal. Um, yeah, sure. This is, uh, you know, we're talking being able to take this anywhere with you. Yeah, sure. You can throw it in your purse, throw it in your file at for your file cabinet at work, take it to school, take it backpacking, camping. I dig um, stuff like this. Cause the thing is, is like, if I buy a big tub of something like hummus or artichoke dip or whatever, I mean, you know, much like you're aware, it's got a shelf life to it. You got to hurry up and eat it, different stuff. And then honestly, it kind of just takes up a lot of space. Like, does. I mean, if you want to whip up a, a, and, and by the way, a quarter pound, if that's, uh, I mean, that seems like a much more reasonable dose. It is. Uh, we wanted to be, we wanted to be really honest about the serving size. So many companies, you read those, you know, like a can of Coke says it's two servings. Okay. Who's going to just drink a can? I hate that, by the way. It, I hate it, that. Like, how much is this package? Because I'm going to eat it all. Yeah. 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 So we wanted to be super honest. This is one serving. And we we developed it with, like, the backpackers and stuff in mind. Yeah, you know, sure. A, a backpacker is not going to be able to just mix half of it or, you know, or... um Mix it with water, save half of it for later. We wanted to give them a realistic serving size, 150 calories, nine grams of protein, and, and most of them. I mean, that's uh, reasonable, dude. Yeah. It's not bad. Oh, I totally think so, too. Um, the applications are pretty pretty endless for it. And the fact that I can ship this. Yeah, sure. Oh, without yeah. refrigeration. Refrigerated shipping uh, nah, is and, cheap. Yeah. So with that, I see three flavors. What do we have? Chip. Ch how do you say it? Chipotle. Chipotle um, traditional. Traditional and, and what? Mugliai curry. 
I'm glad that's the one I threw at Breland when she came in to take pictures. Did she like curry? No, I, would, I don't think I could have just, I don't think I would have just said the word that you said properly. What was that? <laughs> oh, Muglia. Okay. So, um, that... and Breland does like hummus. She is a vegetarian. Oh, cool. So therefore I would imagine she eats a lot of hummus. So all that's for her then? Probably. Okay. Well, probably no. I never give everyone all the free stuff. We get a lot of interesting free stuff. And um, the thing is, though, you know, and I mentioned like today, I said, well, I'm on the keto diet, but I'm not always on it. So, you know, because I just can't. But I mean, I'll try this. And what I like about this is I don't have to eat this in the next week. Nope. Um, my wife loves stuff like this. And honestly, I mean, we'll we'll try it on the kids. We're really excited about this, yeah. Um, you know, and just like any other, you know, we, we treated this as, or well, we've had to treat it as a pretty much a new startup. It's a completely different process, completely different equipment from what I currently use. It's it's a whole new business, and it's like starting it's like starting up again. Um, yeah, sure. It's, it's been weird. Well, it, it is and it isn't though. Yeah, I mean, because what you're not starting up again are relationships. Right. supply chain connections, different stuff like that. And you've probably, I'd like to think you've learned a few things. Have, um, you know, I still have all my experience from, you know, all my FDA stuff and that I know state health, health codes and stuff like that. Yep. But it's a, it's a completely, it, although it's in the same industry, it's a completely different, you know, different thing. I, I probably shouldn't start naming people on here, but I had a, I had somebody tell me a couple of years ago when I, was starting this or, you know, starting to look into this more and, you know, spending a little bit of time doing things. She said, uh, you know, I said, this is going to be so much better for me than the hummus I've been doing. Like, this is going to be so easy. I'll be able to sell so much. She said, just because it's different doesn't mean you're not going to have the same struggles. You're, no, I, I think that's good advice. Yeah. You're, you're going to, by the way, as entrepreneurs, we have the same problems, yeah. whether you build software or you make hummus, yeah. we almost universally, the people that come through here have the, they complain about the exact same things. Yeah. I mean, I've got my gripes. I have plenty, plenty of them. Um, but this is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more stuff to this that I'd never considered before, you know, the shipping stuff, the, um, I've never shipped any. I've shipped hummus one time in my life, and it was to a magazine a couple months ago, and I had to do it refrigerated. The cost to ship that was like 40, I'm going to say 40 bucks or something. Yeah. 25, 30 bucks for just, and that was for two tubs of hummus. I mean, this is the size, like this could go in a small little promo envelope that was like, hey, come buy this from us. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, it's lightweight. Uh, we, we qualify. It's definitely lightweight. It's 1.28 ounces. Yeah. Well, plus the package maybe, um, with the package, it's uh zero point it's under a 10th of a pound. So there you go. I think that would fit in standard postage. Probably. Maybe. I I think if you can fit it in the envelope, it's standard postage. I mean, I don't know how long they'll let that go, but (laughs) who knows, man, can't you just buy stamps? Can't you just buy stamps and use them forever now? Isn't that how it goes? You should be able to. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, 20 years ago, I just started buying stamps and now I mark them up. I'm kidding. (laughs) kidding. There's a new business idea, just a stamp reseller. Well, I mean, maybe it, it, it seems to be there other than, um, yeah, it seems to be something that continually rises in price, right? Unlike many, many things. Yeah. So for those of you listening, make sure you go to the hummus.co, go over to Instagram, throw the guy a like, it's the, at the hummus co. Um, 
go out and find some of this stuff, you know, check it out online and, and figure out where you can buy it. By the time this comes out, you're going to have access to this amazing new product. I think this is cool, man. I love stuff like this just because like you said, it's like, dude, I do not think far enough in advance to be like, you know what? I might want hummus later. I want to be able to pull it out of my cabinet and pour some water in it, whip it up and have it be good. Well, we're going to be, we're most likely going to be selling it in 10 packs also. So yeah. you can have just a little thing of it in your pantry. So you ready can, there yeah, you well, you mentioned bathing in hummus. So you could maybe yeah, do that with the 10 pack. If so somebody really wanted to do it. I could probably. Hook yeah. <laughs> that, um, that might, yeah. Who knows? Hey, whatever floats your boat people. Right. So with that, we like to uh, end our episodes with what we call the founders freestyle, which means you get to talk about whatever you want oh. to whoever you want. Some people give advice. Some people do whatever. Some people thank their friends. It's a freestyle. So you get to do whatever you want. What would you like to say to the startup hustle nation as we round out this episode? So uh, something that's kind of gotten to me over the years is, is the definition of entrepreneurship. Um, I coined a term a few years ago, brontrepreneur. To me, there's there's a couple different types, kind of like they say there's, what, seven different types of intelligence. I feel like with entrepreneurs, there's a few different types. We've got the, the hardcore bootstrappers that will do absolutely anything it takes to get, you know, and, and also try to be cheap because a lot of times you don't have money in the beginning. And then there's like the, and is a, uh, Wes at Betablocks likes to call them the entrepreneurs, And then there's the, um, there's the guys that just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this person's money. I'm going to pay you to do this. I'm going to pay you to do this while I'm at my computer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but sometimes I feel like the definition gets a little muddied. Um, and it's, oh, I, I mentioned something before about, um, like the MLM stuff and calling them, calling themselves entrepreneurs. And it just kills me. Like um, the, the definition being muddied kind of makes me sometimes even regret calling myself an entrepreneur. I feel like in the purest way, like, you know, I've, I've built a kitchen, I two by fours, drywall, um, you know, everything that I've had to do to build out a kitchen, the plumbing, electrical stuff, like I didn't pay people to do all that stuff. I did it all myself. And, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of what you got to do in the beginning if you don't have any money. Um, if you get, if you get an investment, if you get somebody to give you a ton of cash, then it's a lot easier to delegate tasks. Um, but for myself, me, I'm, and I, I, give myself a sense of ownership too when I do things myself. You know, I, there's plenty of things that I could pay other people to do, but I really enjoy doing them myself. It gives me, I don't know, it gives me pride, I think, sometimes. I don't know. Does any of that make sense? <laughs> well, sure. And I'll, I'll go ahead and first off, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Um, you are, you have, you are the top hummus entrepreneur so far on the Startup Hustle podcast. Congratulations. Yeah. You may remain number one on that for a while. <laughs> Um, although we have had people in from different industries and, you know, part of Startup Hustle is about trying to highlight the different things that entrepreneurs do. And then sometimes the repetitive nature of, of what nags at us across industries. And it's very, it's very similar. Um, now with the definition of an entrepreneur, 
Uh, there's a lot of different, you know, I'm going to kind of parlay off your freestyle here into mine and we'll, sure. we'll round this out. Um, I, I think that, you know, in regards to like what is an entrepreneur, I think if you're in control of your own, like whenever you're in control of your own income, fate and livelihood, I think that you can, I think you can call yourself an entrepreneur. Now, I'm not a big fan of MLMs. I've actually talked about that. I'm not, and I thought it was pretty funny because Google on some of them. So Google has a little sidebar that they create and they have literally started saying pyramid scheme, which is really crazy. Cause like that's, those are bold words to use, but I don't, I think that some of the things and the ways that you approach things, I think if you are in a situation where you have to do something where you're in control of your own income, um, that's entrepreneurial. Now, um, I don't really get too far into these labels. I think that um, I do look at a founder and an entrepreneur as different definitions. A founder is someone that's doing something that doesn't come with an owner's manual. Right. Um, I think that, and some people have said, well, if you own a franchise, you're not an entrepreneur. I disagree. Um, I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurial things that come with franchise ownership and actually um, having been, being someone who dropped out of a top 10 business school, I will tell you at a top 10 business school, they will encourage you to open franchises because franchises are model tested sure. and they come with an owner's manual. They do. <laughs> and much like you hear James story or anyone's story, um, you know, the, the owner's manual is the hard part with the business. Cause anytime you're doing something new and you're founding something, no matter what happens, it's the first time it happened. And that's where franchises are smart for a lot of people. Not everyone wants to go through the hell and misery of founding something. Now with that, the founder role is quite possibly for most the highest rate of return. It's also the highest rate of failure. Um, franchises are a little bit of a middle in there for entrepreneurs and not everyone has a, an idea that's fresh to the world. So it's fine. Um, I'm not a, you know, I think MLMs are more of a side hustle. Um, and with that, you know, we're talking about just things where, you know, I mean, whatever, um, there, there's a lot of different things and I'm not going to name any of them or get into them. Cause you know what? I, I mean, if that's what works for you, just do, do, just surround yourself with one that you feel offers, uh, has some integrity around the model. Um, if your whole entire entrepreneurial life exists around signing people up to sell something, that's, that's a red flag, but I mean, it is what it is. I mean, there's a, a I, I think that and more so today than any other time in the world, you have the ability to be an entrepreneur. And, and like you're, if you decide that you want to spend your nights driving Uber, you can look at yourself as an entrepreneur. You are doing entrepreneurial things. These are things that you're doing to hustle and make money that aren't within the conventional nine to five world. So, you know, and, and then really in the end, who cares? If you're happy doing what you're doing and you like it and you feel that, that it's rewarding for you, you're providing for your family, you're doing what you want to do and you're not hustling people and instead you're hustling, I think you're in pretty good shape. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, once again, if you get a chance, go to thehummus.co, buy some hummus, find it, figure it out how to get it. The Hummus Company, I'm looking forward to trying some of this as soon as I am it's within my dietary restrictions. I ate too much candy at Halloween. I got fat. Um, I'm going to shave some of that off and then I can get right back at it. So anyway, see you all next time. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.